Um, but this morning, I'm excited to share a word this morning. I'm doing a little different. I'm going to really teach this morning and really speak to you with a pastoral heart. I don't know. I think it's because I've been living in First John the last few weeks, just in my own personal reading. And um, when you understand the heart behind that that letter in First and Second John, you realize that it's the very end of John's life, and he writes in this really pastoral tone, almost like this grandfather talking to like the generations about, you know, I've lived life so long, I've seen so many things, I've walked many a hard road, and if I could look back on my life and leave you with one thing, this is what I would leave you with, and that really is the heart and tone behind. 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and I think because I've been in that space, I've kind of really uh, taken on this real pastoral, real father's heart for our community now that we're on the cusp of summer, we're on the cusp of really there's no such thing as the seasons in Chicago. I feel like you can get snow in April, uh, you can get 80 degrees in April and snow in the middle of May. Um, so I know that there's different, uh, there's different uh, seasons across most parts of the world, but not for us. But I'm also mindful as it gets warmer, um, I've just, again, we've passed it now for well over a decade. And there's just something about warmer weather. There's something about getting closer and closer to summer and even through the summer times that I just think uh, we've just watched far too many things happen in people's lives across the summer. I think there's just there's this there's joy and fun that comes with summer. But I think there's at times it can come the sense of recklessness and at times a sense of lackadaisical approach, some of the basic tenets of our faith. And oftentimes people get themselves in a lot of trouble in the summer. And so uh, I started putting uh, uh, pen to paper on this thought that very quickly became a whole series. And in fact, even today's message, uh, I was just talking with some of the guys and giving them my scriptures in preparation for this morning. And the guys are like, there's no chance you're gonna finish this in one sitting. Uh, this is like a 15 to 20 part series. So it quickly became a series uh, that I'm gonna start today because I felt like it was a word for today. For us to, I just really wanted to preach this today. I couldn't wait to start it in the summer. So you'll get the get the, at least if it's if it's if it's anything, it's a foundation for a our wisdom series we're gonna care for in the summer. And these are the passages that we're gonna frame our time together this morning and can give you a precursor as to what's coming in the summer as we'll do a deep dive into the book of Proverbs and talk all around wisdom uh, that I think is so crucial to a life of faith and to a life of longevity, walking with Christ um, and keeping yourself out of trouble. Uh, so our main passages will be out of Proverbs chapter one, verse one to seven. And it says this, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, and let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. For fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Our second passage is Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. It says this, Lord, would you teach us to realize the brevity of life? Other versions say this, teach us to number our days, O Lord. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And so this morning, I wanna talk very briefly on wisdom and insight. Wisdom and insight. My heart's prayer for you, my heart's prayer for our church is that we would be a church who value and prioritize wisdom 
and particularly today through the lens of deep insight. What is going on on the inside of us? What's going on in our hearts? What's going on in our minds? What's going on in our souls? What's going on on the inside that we might gain insight through the lens of wisdom, which we know that the true uh, f- that the true knowledge is found in the beginnings and the foundations of fearing of the Lord. And again, through that lens of again big picture wisdom for the Book of Proverbs, we're talking wisdom and insight. And I was reading these these two passages in Proverbs, and I wanted to share them this morning. Uh, I like I just like the way they've put them. We'll get through this um, as we get through Proverbs in the summer. But I wanted to kind of give you an, uh, a sneak peek even this morning. And I love the way it says this in the message: "Is this you'll find wisdom." on the lips of a person of insight, but the short-sighted needs a slap in the face. (laughs) I love the way the message sometimes write things. You'll find wisdom on the lips of a person of insight, but the short-sighted need a slap in the face. Wake yourself up. Uh, That was Proverbs 10 verse 13. Another one is Proverbs 16 verse 16. It says this, get wisdom. It is worth more than money. Choose insight over income every time. And I love those two. And, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of dive in on, um, you know, we'll be talking wisdom from different facets. And today I'm talking about wisdom from the facet and from the lens of insight. You know, anyone, in fact, I wrote like this and said, most people are experts at hindsight. You know, I'm, all, I, I'm never shocked and surprised. You know, when things happen in people's lives, you know, someone's marriage falls apart or uh, uh, something happens in the church or there's scandal or, uh, um, you know, someone makes an error or uh, someone makes a, 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 you know, a grave mistake or someone uh, falls into sin, someone falls into temptation, someone, you know, people, we, we watch as people are so, again, we live in a time now where everything's so public and everyone has an opinion and everything, but I'm never amazed at how people are so quick to say, oh, this is what needed to happen, or that was always bound to happen, or oh, I could have told you it was going to happen based on X, Y, and Z, or had they done that, this would have never happened, or had they done that, they might have avoided that. You know, here's the reality. Everyone, it, it doesn't take a genius to become an expert with great hindsight, because hindsight, you're able to see the whole picture. You're able to see things that other people didn't see. Uh, um, you know, hindsight, you're able to see things that now everyone can see, and it's very obvious what could have happened and what should have happened to avoid that situation. So you're not really an expert if you have hindsight. In fact, I think hindsight is one of the, the, the lowest forms of intellect. I think hindsight is one of the lowest forms of wisdom because it doesn't take much to gain it. Because with hindsight, you have the full picture. I think most people are experts at hindsight. I think some people are experts at foresight, the ability to look ahead into something, to look ahead and predict something, to look ahead and preempt something. I think there's greater wisdom in not living your life on hindsight, learning from just mistakes that have gone before you. But I think there's even a greater measure of wisdom that comes with learning the skill of what it takes to have a measure of foresight. Some would call that, and again, some of these next two points, some would look at that and call that discernment. It's ability to look ahead and be able to know, hey, if, if, if something doesn't change here, this is where that's heading. If something doesn't shift in that space in my life, that's, what, that's the kind of destruction it will cause. I pray that we learn as people to go beyond um, our building our wisdom and building our uh, lifestyles and building uh, the, the, the disciplines of our life 
purely based on the past from hindsight. I would pray we learn the skill. We'll talk more about what that looks like in the summer, but again, this is just a foundational teaching this morning. But I pray we learn how to build our lives and to build into our lives the great gift of wisdom that teaches us foresight. How to look at the patterns of our lives and be able to look ahead at where this is going and learn to make the necessary changes ahead of time before disaster strikes. Here's one thing I know of the Lord. In fact, it says this again in scripture, that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And, and even, I would even take a step further this, this way. The Lord is deeply patient. I have never met somebody whose life has absolutely fallen apart, who couldn't look at their life before everything went to water and be able to identify different moments along the journey where God tried to give him a warning, where God tried to give him some insight, where God tried to give him some foresight as to where this is going, and they just did not heed the advice or did not heed the counsel. And here's a scriptural word for it, they did not heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we are a community of people who know what it is to lean into the conviction and the unctions of the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit to not just be a helper, but to be a counselor, to be wisdom, to give us insight. In fact, the Bible says it's those who lack wisdom or to ask for it. You have not because you ask not. And so I pray that we're the kind of people who learn to build our lives, not just in hindsight, but a measure of foresight because it'll save you in the long run. And knowing that this, there's all, there's always markers, there's always gauges, there's always warning signs along the way that can quickly tell you if you're living with the measure of wisdom and you're living with the measure of the fear of the Lord, that can quickly tell you when you need a course correction. And I find there are too many believers who, and I'll get to this in a minute, there are too many believers who are not living with the, with the measure of foresight, who are purely just living off of hindsight, and some aren't even living with hindsight. They're just living life and praying for their best. It's like throwing a whole bunch of, you know, things on the wall and hoping something sticks. It's not. It's no way to live life. Let me tell you something, church. You will not finish this race unless you learn to live life based on wisdom, found in the Word of God, that can help you identify things in your life that need to change before they lead to destruction. But here's what I really wanna talk about today. It's not hindsight, it's not even foresight, because I think this is the real key to great, great wisdom that can really save us from ourselves, save us from destruction, save us from foolish habits, foolish ways of living that only continue to hurt you and diminish your capacity to be who God's called you to be and to finish the race. And it's this, insight. What is insight? It is the ability to see into something. Very few people have the ability or take the time to seek heaven's wisdom and to allow for, uh, to, to allow themselves to pray and ask God for wisdom to see into the heart of a matter. Insight is this great ability to look into something and see the heart of a matter. It's different from discernment in that discernment is a gift of the spirit. And some people may be going, well, I wish I had insight, but I shouldn't have the gift of discernment. But listen, let me be real with you. Wisdom is available to us all. And what I'm talking about when it comes to insight is not a matter of discernment. It's a matter of being aware. It's living aware. It's living with your eyes wide open. It's living with a heart that's open to the things of God and that's soft and tender to the voice and the heedings of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the heart of God. It really speaks to this passage in, um, uh, I think it's in 2 Peter. Let's see if I can find it. It just, um, I, I didn't write it down, but I, I think it's in, in here somewhere in this great noggin of mine. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, I think it is. Let me see if I can just quote it from here. It says this, it says this, be, be alert, live alert, live aware, 
because we have an enemy who is the devil who roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think there is great wisdom in knowing that we have to every day live aware and live vigilant because we have an enemy whose sole desire in this life is to roam around like a roaring lion to devour you, to devour your soul, to devour your faith, to devour your marriage, to devour your family, to devour your relationships, to devour your calling, but above all else is to devour and diminish the relationship you have with God and to diminish and to devour the faith you have in Christ Jesus. Because if you don't have that, you have nothing in this life. I mean it now, church. You can have everything this, the Bible says this. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? If you have not faith and you have not a real and active relationship with the living God who saves us, who heals us, who leads us and guides us and delivers us, then we have nothing at all. And so it is imperative that through these times that come ahead of us, and in fact for the rest of our days, we choose to live in wisdom, which is to fear the Lord, which is to live diligent, to live vigilant, to live aware at all times at the schemes and the tactics of the devil who is trying to devour you, we will not endure and we will not finish this race. So insight is one of those key, key uh, 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 values of wisdom that'll help you live aware because it teaches you to look into the heart of something. Most people will miss it because they look at the exterior. They look at the outward. Many a, many a great movement, many a great churches, many a great pastors and leaders, many a great mentors for many of us, mentors, disciples, leaders, people we've looked up to, uh, many a great missionary, many a great preacher, many a great business leaders, many a great uh, people who've been on platforms, who've stood in front of cameras like I'm doing right now. We know far too many people like that whose lives have absolutely fallen to water and have, and have fallen and have had moral failings and have had, and have had real uh, sin take root in their lives and produce fruit according to its kind, which leads to death and have lost ministries, have lost, have lost families, have lost uh, loved ones, have lost relationships, have lost credibility, have lost trust, and unfortunately for some, have broken and tethered their relationship to Jesus. And the truth is, without insight, when you just look at the outs outskirts, many of these people, right up until the moment where their demise came, no one would have guessed that anything was wrong and would have ever guessed that this is where their lives would be. And that is a lack of insight. But I, let me tell you something, insight, however, gives you ability to look into something. We are no longer enamored and, and satisfied with just the outward appearance, because let me tell you what, the beginning of foolishness is to just live your life based on the outward appearance. What do things look like on the outside? What do things look like on the exterior? Because let me tell you something, there are, we live in a day and age now where we've become masters of masking, masters at knowing how to put on the show, to look the part, to sing the songs, to raise our hands, to, to do our Christian duty, to be helpful, to be kind, to be spiritual. We know how to play the game and it is such a dangerous thing because there is a generation of people growing up who know how to do the good works but their hearts are far from him. They know how to call Lord, Lord, but their hearts are nowhere near the Lord. And in, re in, in retrospect, their hearts aren't even tethered to the Lord. And so my prayer is that we are never as a community satisfied with just the outward appearance of things. I pray you're interceding and are seeking heaven's wisdom on the kind of church you're a part of, on the kind of friendships you have, on the kind of relationships you keep, on the kind of company you have, on even your workplace, 
and the spaces you frequent, the places you vacation, the places you take your kids to. I pray we learn to be vigilant and to have a measure of insight. Lord, would you give me the eyes to see what is actually happening on the inside of something, what is actually happening on the interior of what we see on the exterior. I am no longer impressed with just what I see on the exterior. I am always praying, God, give me wisdom to see into the heart of matter, to see at the core of something, what's actually going on. And, as, and here's, here's the truth. You need this in marriage. <laughs> I know I know. I laugh about it at times. Oftentimes people joke, preachers will joke about, oh yeah, you need insight and you need wisdom and you need discernment in marriage because half the time I never understand what my spouse is really trying to say. You know, we know this as men. I'm, again, I'm trying not to uh, <laughs> get myself in trouble here. But you'll ask your spouse, Does, uh, I'm not going to let you guess who. You'll ask my spouse, how's everything? Are you okay? I'm fine. But the truth is, you know that they're not fine. But they've said they're fine. But... You know, if you lack wisdom, you'll think, well, cool, everything's fine. You'll keep going about your business, never realizing that you've got about a thousand daggers from the eyes looking at you going, dig a little deeper, ask the second question. But wisdom and insight will teach you that you may say things are fine. It may look fine on the exterior, but wisdom and insight has taught me to ask the second question, that there's more going on here than meets the eye. And you dig a little deeper. And you, even though it's uncomfortable, even though you know I could be walking to a bear's trap over here. Uh, but the truth is, wisdom and insight doesn't let you become satisfied with the outward. You've got to dig deeper to get to the core of matter. Because unless we deal with the root of issues, unless we deal with things at the very core, at the very depths, at the root of an issue, we'll never truly eradicate it from our lives and never truly come to a biblical and godly solution where things are dealt with permanently. And it's true of our children. My God, if you are trying to raise children without insight and wisdom, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I'm glad you're here this morning and tuning in because there is no way you can lead your children, especially as they become teenagers, without a measure of wisdom and insight. Because again, same thing, kids will tell you one thing. And again, I don't even think it's just teenagers. I even look at my kids now. They're young. I've got a five-year-old about to be six and a three-year-old about to be four. And let me tell you something. There are things that they'll say to me. They'll say something. And I know that what they're saying isn't really the, the thing they want to communicate. It's just they haven't learned the skill yet on how to communicate what's really going on in here. Because there also, there's, there's a whole lot going on. It takes wisdom and insight to be able to look into the heart of matter and, and begin to see what's actually going on. Why is my kid actually doing that? Why are they actually behaving that way? What's the root cause of that behavior? What's the root cause of that outburst? What's the root cause of those tears? What's the root cause of that fear? What's the root cause of that of that withdrawn attitude or with that withdrawn personality? I'm telling you church, it applies in every sphere of life, in a work environment. I, you know, I wish we lived in a, in a world, in a society where we could take everything at face value, where we could take everything uh, as, as truth. But let me tell you, we live in a society where you have to look into the heart of matter. There are so many things going on politically. There are so many things going on culturally. There are so many things going on socially, even in your workplace, that are not what they seem. And there is often more going on than what first meets the eye. And if we are to be wise, and if we are to live life and excel and endure and, and, and not just survive, but thrive in this life and really guard our hearts and guard our families, and particularly in this day and age, guard our children, we have to be able to have the wisdom and insight to see through what I'm hearing 
and through what is being peddled on news channels and peddled in schools and peddled across our culture, peddled through movies, peddled through uh, social media to see what is actually going on at the core of this thing and is it detrimental to my children, is it detrimental to my health, is it detrimental to my mind, is it detrimental to my future and above all else, is it detrimental to my walk with the Lord and if it is, you best get out of there quickly because let me tell you something, if you play around with sin, it only ends in one way and it ends in death and so we live in a time now more than ever where as believers as particularly in a city like ours we have to prioritize living out of a place of wisdom and insight and not being satisfied just with the outside um we cannot be satisfied just making service judgment but anyway i need to get to the points um i, I have about 10 points and in truth i'm probably going to get through five uh, this morning and that's okay. We'll just continue on uh, uh, might continue next week might continue in some I don't know um, Depending on how this is received um, And so I'm gonna try to get through as many of them. So number one wisdom and insight Teach me to address number one blind spots Blind spots wisdom and insight teach me to address within myself blind spots Here's the truth a fool is he who doesn't recognize he has them nor cares enough to uncover them. I'm going to say it again. A fool is he or she who um, doesn't recognize that he has them nor cares enough to uncover them. Every one of us has blind spots. And here's the, here's the thing about blind spots. You might go, I don't have any. I don't see him. Well, that's what they're called blind dingus. Um, you know, it's because we all have them and they're blind spots, which means we need other people in our lives to help us uncover them. But it first starts with us realizing we have them and we need other people to serve as mirrors in our lives. Blind spots, and, and this is so crucial because blind spots are erosive. Blind spots are a silent killer. Let me tell you something, things can start falling apart all around you. I've seen this for years. Things, you, you'll live your life in such a way, if you don't take care of your blind spots, You'll live your life and you'll start to realize things are falling apart all around you. Relationships are falling apart. Uh, your career is not where you want it to be. You're, you're, um, you know, things are falling apart within yourself and you're struggling to figure out why. Because here's the thing, blind spots left unaddressed will have you tearing down with your right hand what you're building with your left hand. I want you to imagine that imagery. Blind spots left unaddressed, which is why I say blind spots are erosive and wisdom and insight teach you to very quickly and, at all, and whatever it takes to address them and to uncover them, to uncover them and undress them. Because blind spots are erosive in, in this way. They will, blind spots left unaddressed will have you tearing down with your right hand what you're building with your left hand. Unless you take care of them, they will constantly undermine you. They'll undermine your character, they'll undermine your relationships, they'll undermine your, uh, your career, they'll undermine your calling, they'll undermine your parenting, they'll undermine your spouse, They'll undermine everything that matters to you because they are naturally erosive and they're a silent killer. And it is important for us to acknowledge them and to identify them. Um, and and the, the reason I say foolish is he who doesn't believe he has them or recognize he has them is because if the heroes of old, the people who we look up to in the scriptures can identify that they don't know everything there is to know about them, who are we to think that we do? Take a look at this in Psalm 19 verse 12 to 13. This is, this is David. He says this, how can I? I mean, gosh, listen to this. How can I know all the sins lurking within me, lurking in my own heart? Cleanse me. And so, and so because he realizes, he says this, Lord, would you cleanse me from these hidden faults? Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. 
Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Even David recognized that I don't know everything there is to know about myself. I'm aware that even, even if I have a, an enormously high EQ, even if I am one of the most self-aware people on the planet, I have to recognize that out of my sheer humanity, there are things about myself, there are things in my heart, there are things in my mind that are going on that I don't even know about. How can I know all the sins that lurk in my own heart? Which is why my prayer, and I pray becomes your prayer, is this, Lord, would you cleanse me from all these hidden faults of mine? Keep your servant from deliberate sin. Let's keep, let's keep going. Psalm 139, verse 23, 24. Another one. Search me, O God. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Watch this. Point out anything in me that offends you, Lord. And he says this, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There it is right there. Lord, would you point out anything in me that offends you? It takes great wisdom to recognize that I have blind spots. And here's what you do. You have to get on your knees daily and go, Lord, search me again today. Would you examine my heart again today? Would you examine my soul again? And would you point out in me things that I may have missed that offend you? And Lord, would you help me make them right? That's wisdom. That's insight. A lack of wisdom is to go, well, I know who I am. A lack of wisdom is to go, I know everything there's to know about myself and I'm good. That's a lack of wisdom and that's a lack of insight. Insight teaches us to pray prayers like this. Lord, help me see into things. Help me see the things that I don't see that offend you and that break your heart. And would you help me rectify them? Because I have the wisdom to know that I don't know everything that's going on even inside my own self. And so uh, an another one, and I love this one. First Corinthians chapter four, verse four, it says this, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. God, this is a good passage. This right here, imagine we lived our lives like this. My conscience is clear. To the best of my knowledge, I'm living in accordance with the word of God. To the best of my knowledge, my heart is pure. To the best of my knowledge, my mind is pure. To the best of my knowledge, my conscience is clear. I have not offended or hurt the Lord or even hurt somebody else or offended somebody else or done somebody else wrong or made an error with my child or made an error at work or, or uh, um, you know, done hardship to an employee or, or a fellow colleague. To the best of my ability, my conscience is clear. But wisdom and insight says this, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It goes on to say this, it is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So here's my question for you this morning on point number one when it comes to your blind spots. Who are you inviting into your life to speak into your blind spots? I'm going to ask it again to you, Demetrius. I'm going to ask it again to you, Charles. I'm going to ask it again to you, Marissa. I'm going to ask it again to you, Brianna. Who are you inviting into your life to speak into your blind spots? It's a great question, but here's an even bigger challenge. If your very first thought to that question was another person, that's not all wrong, but may I impose this thought upon you this morning, that the very first person we ought to answer when we answer that question is the Lord and His Spirit. Because let me tell you something, there are things that are going on in my heart 
that no one else in the world would ever know. Even my own wife who I share a bed with. Even the people closest to me who I divulge that which I want to divulge to. No one else knows me like the Lord knows me. No one else sees the things in my heart and in my mind that have taken deep root that even I myself don't know exist. Because there are things we do. This is why therapy is great. I'm a great advocate of therapy. I'm a great advocate of counselors. I'm a great advocate of doing all the things you need to do to help uncover the things that are going on and to help make sense of why I do the things that I do. Because a lack of wisdom is just satisfied with the outward appearance. Well, that's just what I do. It's just always what I've done. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I do that? Why do I respond like that? Why is it that I've got a pattern of going from that church to that church to that church? Why do I have a pattern of every environment I've in, I always happen to lose relationships? Why do I have a pattern of losing people close to me? Why do I have a pattern of pushing away every guy who tries to love me? Why do I have a pattern of never sticking in one relationship long enough? Why do I have a pattern of snapping at my kids when they ask me that kind of question? Why do I have the pattern that I respond the way I respond to my husband or my wife when they ask me certain questions? Why do I have that response when I walk into certain environments? Why do I do the things that I do when I get to work? Why do I, why do I have a propensity to lean into that kind of space not that kind of space it takes wisdom and insight and prioritizing that to ask the second question to delve a little deeper and there are things that you can't you can't answer that not even therapy can answer that only the Lord can reveal so can I say to you build into your life this kind of prayer that David prays Lord search my heart Lord test me Lord reveal to me Lord speak to me Lord how can I know all the sins that lurk within me? I'm going to need you to reveal yourself to me today, to reveal things to me because I recognize I have blind spots. Lord, I want to live a life with clean hands and a pure heart before you. And to the best of my knowledge, my conscience is clear. To the best of knowledge, my heart, my hands and heart are pure. But Lord, I am not naive enough to believe that just because my conscience is clear, that it proves me right. No, I recognize that I need you. And so every day of my life when I pray, it becomes a daily habit and a discipline. What does wisdom do? It teaches us daily disciplines that we might live a full and successful life in the eyes of the Lord. If you want to live a full and successful life, build into your daily habits, build into your daily disciplines this prayer. Lord, would you search my heart and would you again uncover within me things that I don't even know that might offend you and might bring you dishonor. That is the beginning of wisdom. Do you know? So when I answer that question, who have I invited into my life? to speaking about blind spots, it's the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And once the Lord and the Holy Spirit have done with their work, I ensure because God works in the context of community. That's why it doesn't make sense to me for people to call themselves believers but do the journey of life alone. We are community beings and God has designed it that way. So again, once the Lord has done the work, He uses other people in my life to help uncover things. So again, I have the Lord, but I also have very key people in my life who will do so. And you know, I think of my best friends. I have, de I have designed my friend group. I have designed my council group. I have designed my best friends in such a way to make sure that I don't surround myself with people who will just say yes, who will just nod and accept the things I say, even though sometimes they're foolish. And I'll not just accept people who will just let me do what I want to do and validate my emotions and validate my feelings and validate my thoughts, even though they are wayward and don't line up with scripture. You know, I think of my friend group, I, have, I think of my best friend's Raf. He's super emotional. And, you know, every time we talk to him, he cries about something. It's, it's annoying. Um, but gosh, I love him. Because uh, his heart's so tender to the things of God. But I tell you what, he, I, need, I need him in my life because he's one of my greatest encouragers. He encourages me. He believes in us. Um, 
And he, he, he is always in our corner. And I pray all of you have friends like that who are with you, who are your ride or dies, who, are, who will back you to the helm. Uh, I mean, this guy showed up to our very first uh, event as a church. Uh, even when they weren't doing well financially, he sowed. He was one of the very first people to give into, the, into our church to make sure that we could open our doors. Uh, and he constantly calls me in. Oftentimes I'll call him to check in on him as he's gone through some major life transitions. And I've called him to try and pastor and counsel him as a friend does another friend because iron sharpens iron. But somehow, even in the midst of his own valleys through the years of our friendships, he's always found a way to make it back about me and encourage me and strengthen me. And I thank God for him. And at the same time I thank God for him, I'm thankful that aren't all my friends are like Raph. I'm thankful for friends like Alex. I'm thankful for friends like uh, Melody and Oscar. I'm thankful for friends like Stephanie O'Berry. I'm thankful for friends like Paul Kellaway, who really are sharpshooters. They don't, they don't beat around the bush. They're pretty hard, hard cut from the cloth, if you know what I'm saying. These guys are straight shooters. And I tell you what, I can never get away with anything with these guys. And I can never get too proud. I can never get too big for my own shoes. I can never spout foolishness and think I get away with them. They love me enough to look me in the eye and tell me what I need to hear. The I'm tell you what, uh, who do you have in your life who'll tell you that you're an idiot? I'll tell you what, I have a lot of those. And I love them to bits for it. They, they don't encourage me any less than Raf does. It looks different. I'm encouraged by them because they love me enough. They believe in us enough. They believe in this church enough. They believe in our future enough to fight to keep me on course, to keep me on course correction and to keep me in wisdom. And they'll pull me up when I'm out of line and they'll challenge me when, when, I'm, when I'm not doing things well. And they'll never allow me to get away with any foolishness. And I pray, my prayer for you is that if you don't have that, find that. If you don't have that, build that into your life. I pray your friends, I pray the people you look to for counsel are not just the kind of people who are yes people because that'll land you up in trouble. I pray, if you don't already have it, I pray them into your life that you can have people who'll tell you when you are wayward and he'll challenge you and pull you up on your blind spots and uncover them in great love and i pray that so deeply for you build people into your life who serve as mirrors because what do mirrors do mirrors help you see things on you and in you that you could not yet see and you didn't know were there because unless we address these things unless we address blind spots which can stifle our marriages which can stifle our lives and stifle our careers these things that truly matter to us will all come to a grinding halt. Wisdom and insight teach me to address the blind spots in my life. Number two, good Lord, it's only number two and I've already preached for 35 minutes. What are we doing here? We're not gonna get through it all. Let's just, let's just deal with that. Number two, or maybe I'll just end with this one. I don't know, this is so bad. Um, gosh, why am I so long-winded? Lord, teach me how to not just number my days, but number my words. Uh, number two, wisdom and insight teach me to address my insecurities. Insecurity is something we all have, and we all have, to we all have to combat at some point, and that's reality. And I think the sooner that we can come to terms with that, and the sooner we can actually um, realize that, that we're not alone in that, that we're not the only people dealing with them, then it means you can get to just addressing it. I think too many people think I'm the only person dealing with this, so we don't address it, we try to hide it. But let me take the pressure off. Every single person at some point in their lives has to deal with a measure of insecurity. So you're not alone. So you know, quit hiding it. Quit acting like it's okay. Quit acting like you don't have them. And now that you're comfortable, you're in good company, you're in safe, a safe place, we all have them, let's get to addressing them. And let's get to dealing with them and getting them out of your life in Jesus' name. Because here's the thing, like most things, the scariest thing about insecurity is that you don't count the cost of it now. I want to say that again. 
The scary thing, like most things, about insecurity is that you don't count the cost of it now. What does that mean? It means I don't see what it's doing to me now. So you can keep living with it for a while, thinking, well, I'm gonna live with this insecurity and I don't have to address it because I don't see the damage it's causing. You don't count the cost of insecurities now. In fact, the hard thing about insecurity, you only pay the price for it later on. You only realize the price you've paid for insecurities when the career you could have had, the kind of marriage you could have had, the rich memories and friendships you could have had, the opportunities you, you could have had, all go sailing by. And by the time you realize it, it's too late. Um, and you're stuck, I wanna read this part, and you're stuck filled with regret about all the things that you could have had, but you let them pass you by because you didn't address and surrender the insecurities in your own life. Or worse yet, and this is crucial, the things you killed because of your insecurities. Because your insecurities convinced you that you were gonna lose those things. Your insecurities convinced you that you weren't good enough to have them, so now that you have them, you, you suffocated them. You smothered them and you held on too tight and you killed it. And, I, and I've seen this happen far too often, particularly in the context of relationships, but I think it applies everywhere. It applies with your kids. It can even apply with your career. It can apply with different opportunities. It can apply in different spaces. Is that we get something that we've longed for. And because we're so insecure, because we don't have security in who we are and our identity in Christ, we, we hold on to something so tight because you don't want to lose it, but actually your insecurity has caused you to lose it because you've killed it. So here's an example. You, uh, when it comes to our children, you want to protect your kids so much you, and, 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 and um, you're insecure even about your parenting and what you've put into your own kids that you hold them so tight. You never give them the freedom to explore. You never give them the freedom to be who they are because again, you're insecure about who you are because of your upbringing that you'd now suck the life out of your own children because of your own insecurities and your children go to resent you. And the very thing you feared, which was losing your own kids, becomes a reality because of your insecurity. Isn't that, isn't that something? Oftentimes the thing you're insecure about causes, you, causes the thing you're insecure about to actually happen. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've watched people lose relationships because they hung on too tight. They clung, they were insecure and became jealous. They were insecure and began to have weird thoughts about the other person they were dating and began to have these jealous thoughts or these, these fits of rage or they, again, you just become psychotic and you hold on too tight and someone goes, you're just a weirdo and walk away from you. Again, your insecurities can cause you to do the wildest sets of things. Even in your own job, you can be, the insecurities can outwork themselves out in so many different ways and you can lose things that you've prayed for, lose things that you've believed for, lose things that, that God has for you because you didn't deal with your insecurities. Insecurities will kill the things that are, that are key to who you are and who you're called to be. And, and here's, a, here's, a, here's a, proverb, a proverb for it that I believe is so crucial. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trust in the Lord means safety. You know, at the end of the day, the root cause of insecurity, I believe, is not trusting in the Lord. And I believe it's not believing who God says you are and who He says He is. It comes under trust. And that's just what my thought says this. Um, um, and that's why I want to encourage you in this, is that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 to 5. We are confident, I want to encourage you in your insecurities with this passage. We are confident of all this because, our great trust, uh, because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything our own, because we know our qualification comes from, comes from God. 
There is something about putting your trust and faith in God that builds a confidence in you. I know I am what I am by the grace of God. So I dealt with my insecurities about being in front of a camera. I dealt with my insecurities about being in front of people because I recognized that I didn't qualify myself. And I'm not doing this in my own strength. I'm not doing this in my own ability. I'm doing this because God called and because he called, he qualified. So when it comes to the, your, your workplace right now, some of you feel like you're imposter syndrome. There, there was a study done that, that uh, I can't remember the exact number, but far too many people in the world are living out of imposter syndrome. What does that mean? They don't believe that they should be where they are. And so they're living this idea of fake it till you make it. But let me tell you something. I don't live in imposter syndrome. I live in reality of knowing I don't deserve to be doing what I'm doing. I don't belong in most spaces I'm in. And that's okay. I don't feel like I have to fake something now. I don't feel like I have to become something I'm not. I don't feel like I have to put on a mask to fit in. No, I recognize I'm only where I'm at because God put me there. And if God put me there and I feel inadequate, well, God's going to supply what I need. To, by way of qualification, by way of gifting, by way of anointing to be who I'm called to be in that space. I don't have to be, I don't have to be insecure and be something I'm not. I'm going to be who I am because I know that if I'm in the space I'm in because God put me there. And it's recognizing that it's God's grace that does and produces in and through me. It's not you. So you want to overcome insecurity. It starts by recognizing that you can't in your own ability and you only have what you have by his grace and by his goodness. Listen, here's another passage to encourage you. Psalm 23 verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Other versions, the word, the version I'm reading from this morning says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Full stop, period, end of discussion. I could end it right there. In fact, most of our problems in our life could be solved if we just believed that. Most of our insecurities would dissipate if we just believed that he truly is our shepherd and I have all that I need. If God wanted you to be taller, you'd be taller. If God wanted you to be smarter, you'd be smarter. If God wanted you to be born in a different neighborhood, you would have been born in a different neighborhood. Let me tell you something. God has given you everything you need for the life he has called you to live. If, if God has called you to something, then you have everything you need to fulfill that calling. You lack nothing. And if there's something you do need, he's going to give it to you. You don't have to muster up the strength to find it within yourself and now fake things and act like you have it figured out when you don't. I have all that I need. I have everything I need to lead this church. I have everything I need to be a good husband. I have everything I need to be a good father. I have everything I need to be a good friend. You know, and, and I tell you what, I could have been insecure about being married. I could have been insecure about being a good dad. I didn't grow up with a dad and I didn't grow up in a family where I saw marriage modeled to me. So everything in my life pointed to me having insecurity about being a good husband and about being a good dad. And unless I had surrendered that to Lord, and unless I believe a passage like this, that he is my shepherd and I have everything I need, which means I have everything I need for the life he's called me to live, I would have wrecked my marriage. And I would have been a terrible father. But thank God, 
I did not allow my insecurities to get the better of me, but I chose to believe his word and his word tells me that I have everything I need in Christ Jesus. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's him working through me and in me to produce the life he's called me to live. I'm, I can be a good husband. I can, it doesn't mean I don't work at things. We have to work at it to continue to get better. But don't go looking elsewhere. Don't count yourself out of the race. Some of you haven't applied for jobs you should have applied for. Some of you haven't entered space you belong in. Some of you haven't started blogs. Some of you haven't started businesses. Some of you started, haven't written songs. Some of you haven't made new ventures and, and made new inroads. Some of you haven't begun new relationships. Some of you haven't stepped into new spaces because you didn't feel like you could and you didn't feel adequate even though the Lord had called you. And I'm here to tell you, quit living by the wayside. Quit standing on the side of the road watching life pass you by because of your insecurities. I pray wisdom and insight would teach you today to address those insecurities. It is time for you to quit letting your insecurities rob you of all that God has for you. Let me tell you something. You lack nothing. If you lack it, it's because you don't need it. The one thing I know about my God, if I need it, he'll provide it because he is my great shepherd and I'm done letting my insecurities tell me what I can and cannot have. I have what I have because God is good all the time in Jesus' name. Um, another passage I want to read to you is Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. And if we're honest, that is a life that of insecurities looks like. When you live, uh, this, might, this might sound harsh, but hear my heart, I'm not trying to condemn you or, or make you feel small. But the truth is, if we're living ruled by insecurity, it's because our trust and our hope and our faith is still within us. And the Bible tells us, cursed are those who trust in mere humans and trust and rely on human strength. And this idea of curse, it just means you just don't have God's best for you. You don't have God's best for your life if you trust in humans and trust in your strength. But the Lord says this, they are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in uninhabited salty land. But blessed, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat, are not bothered by the haters, are not bothered by what other people have to say, are not bothered by the things they don't have. Such people are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. No, their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. If you live in accordance with the word of God and put your trust in him, put your hope in him and have your mind and heart built on this reality that God is my sustenance, that I'm qualified because he's called me and I'm in the space because he's called me. And if he's called me, he qualifies me. Then I know I don't have to trust in myself and I'll live small. I know that God will grace me. I know that God will strengthen me. I know that God will provide me with all I need to be a good friend, to be a good employee, to be a good boss, 
to start that business, to be a good husband, to be a good father. I know some of you are dealing with the challenges of being a single parent and that can come with a horde of insecurities. But let me encourage you, you have a great shepherd and his name is Jesus and in him you lack no good thing. So surrender your insecurities to the cross. Submit your insecurities to the power and the truth of God's word. That he is your strength. That he is your portion. That he is the one who qualifies. That he is the one who gives you wisdom to, to parent your children. To lead them into all the things that God has for them. And to be that kind of person who your children look up to as you follow Christ in all your ways. That you don't have to find it within yourself. It's found in him. Your security does not come from here. It comes from here. And it comes from getting on your knees daily and going, God, would you be my strength yet again today? I have so much more to say. Eesh. Point number three was wisdom and insight teach me to address temptation. Number four, um, uh, wisdom and insight teach me to address, number four, materialism. Number five, Wisdom and insight teach me to address pride. Let me tell you, just giving you a, a precursor of what's coming. Number six, wisdom and insight teach me to address disappointment because of what it can produce in my life. Number seven, wisdom and insight teach me to address cynicism. Number eight, wisdom and insight teach me to address lethargy. You don't work, you don't eat. Um, um, number nine, wisdom and insight teach me to address drama. Do not be a drama queen, a drama king. Don't be petty. Don't be a miserable person. Misery loves company. I'm going to get into so much of that. And number 10, wisdom and insight. They teach me to address isolation. And these are some things I want to touch on, but I want to respect your time. I can keep going all day on this stuff. But I hope that introduction, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to continue on this next week. I won't leave you high and dry, just two points. I'll continue next week, part two, when we're actually live together. And uh, we'll continue on the series on wisdom and insight. I hope that's been helpful for you this morning. Again, I hope this told those two things alone. There's enough in those two things alone where I think you can start to put some things into practice. Who do you have in your life? Who can tell you what you need to hear and address the blind spots? What, what prayers are you praying in the morning to allow the Lord to uncover your heart? And again, number two, when it comes to insecurities, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about who you are and who he's called you to be? And I pray that you leave with this truth if you're dealing with insecurities. You have a great shepherd and you have all that you need in him, by him, from him, and through him. And it's for his glory. In Jesus' name, wisdom.